sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Tavern Radio, episode 188 of the Hordes of Chaos. Thank you all for being here. And got a lot of good stuff coming your way today in terms of music. Brand new stuff from Razor, Gorgon, Anion, Skeptic from Poland. Been waiting a long time for a new record from them. Brand new Lamb of God, Blind Illusion, Amorphia, Acid Witch. Got some new Writhing, Escula Grind. From the Vastland and Goat Whore, as well as many others. Good Rock Block also. New stuff from Freedom Hawk, Queensryche, and Wednesday 13. As well as Lord Elephant and Christian Death. A lot of cool stuff. Topic-wise, 
Kind of talk a little bit about the Versus episode we just had. Uh, by the time you hear this, of course, it's been last Thursday uh, when this happened. But we had a Versus episode between Black Sunday 1960, Ma Mario Baba versus Dario Gento Suspiri 1977. That was a lot of fun. Finally, I got to do a video and a Versus uh, featuring one of my favorite horror films of all time. Suspiria, of course, I've talked about before. Neko, love that film. Had a great discussion with Jeff Garrett as well as uh, Thrash Pondo Pond and, of course, Samurai himself. Uh, just a lot of good uh, talk points about each film and what they bring to the table. Black Sunday is no slouch for a 1960 classic. A lot of great atmosphere, a lot of great uh, cinematography within. Uh, Barbara Steele, what can you say, right? Um, but I'm also going to talk about Dario Gento's brand new film on Shutter called Dark Glasses. So I'll get to a review about that. Whether or not Gento is still kicking strong or if he's just kind of being mediocre or whatever. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then I'm also going to talk about 10 bands that, were so sex that successfully replaced their lead singers. Uh, it's an article from wearethepit.com so I'll get into that when we get there. But let's kick off our first block of music. Kicking it off a brand new Venom Inc. Come to me.
翅膀，坐着翅膀。To the hordes of chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it. Alright. Closing out that block. Hell Witch. Torture Chamber. So, uh,. I came across an article on wearethepit.com. I think that might be a new website, too. I'm not sure. I haven't heard of it till today, anyway. But uh, looking around for uh, some articles to, to you know, get let people know about, talk about a little bit. and Because uh, I, I had meant to get out and see, uh, you know, a, a movie in a theater this week to talk about. There's a couple I had in mind, but just a lack of time and... Making sure I got this done in time enough because, you know, I got to do my work week. It's starting again on Sunday. So had to make sure to get everything in order. And uh, But I did have a couple things, I, other things I want to talk about. But this article says 10 bands who successfully replaced their lead singers. And I always find that interesting. In fact, I want to talk about one band that's not on the list. Uh... You could say it's maybe a success and maybe it's not, just depending on how you feel about the band in general, but I'll get to it when we get to the end of this list. Uh, let's start with number 10. And keep in mind, this is also not really saying that the replacement singers are better or worse than the originals, uh, only that they had the band had success with these singers. And so number 10 is ACDC. 
And we all know about, of course, Bond Scott, who passed away early with ACDC, then replaced with Brian Johnson, who uh, appeared on Back in Black. And for a long time when I was young, I thought it was Johnson the entire time. Like, there's an interesting thing about, like, you can kind of hear the differences with Bond Scott and Johnson, but I never saw it as, like, a great departure in terms of how they sounded from one another. And that sometimes as we'll find with number nine, that when you replace a singer and they can still kind of pass off as the original without kind of ripping them off, like still being themselves, is a pretty good thing. And I think that's what bands look for sometimes when they're trying to uh, fill that that gap. So like, so for instance, uh, I know that Burton Bell, no longer with Fear Factory, and I know that Dino and company are getting another guy to fill in for their next record. My curiosity peaks because, you know, how are you going to find someone? I mean, there are definitely singers who can do both rough and clean vocals, but can you get someone who sounds close enough to what uh, Burton was doing with the band so that it doesn't change the overall dynamic of the music prior to the new singer? So, uh Again, I'm not, there's a band I have in mind that I'll talk about where that kind of happened, but we'll get to it when we get to it. So, number 10 was ACDC with Brian Johnson. I enjoy both both singers with both band, uh, both eras of when they were with the band. And uh, certainly Brian Johnson had a lot of success with uh, ACDC when he took over the vocals. Number 9, uh, Allison Chains. And this is always an interesting one because, you know, you're replacing Lane Staley, uh, the original vocalist. Uh, well, if you want to, not counting the hair metal uh, years that they had a different guy then. But once they started going into more grunge and uh, alternative rock stuff, uh, Staley was their guy. And, um, of course, when Staley passed away, you know, I, I kind of thought the band would be done until they found... A gentleman by the name of William Duvall and when I heard like uh, Black Gives Way to Blue um, I was surprised at just how close they came to mimicking uh, Staley's style and so even though Duvall has his own differences with his vocal style and of course uh, God I forget the guitarist name um, but he's a big part of that vocal arrangement as well because uh, he and Staley were always harmonizing together. I and mean, he does the same thing with Duvall. But really, if you listen to the last two or three records from Alice in Chains, where Duvall is on vocals, you, you won't really see them missing a beat in terms of the overall Alice in Chains style. Uh, so unlike number eight here, uh, Anthrax, uh, obviously when they had Joe, Joey Belladonna early on, Neil Turbin, of course, on the earlier records, and then, of course, when John Bush took over, Anthrax did have success with uh, John Bush, who, you know, uh, taking over those vocals. And it, but it was a different type of feel. And I, and I always felt that, in a lot of ways, uh, Bush had more versatility with his uh, versatility with his vocals than Belladonna. Uh, but then I found, like, even when Belladonna came back, that he didn't really miss the beat either. So I, I, I love a lot of the early anthrax work so like my favorite record is stay euphoria which is belladonna era so part of it is just the type of uh 
writing they were doing in music. Like, you know, Anthrax kind of later on just became more back to the heavy metal side of things rather than the thrashier part of it, but, uh, or a mixture of both. But really, during the Belladonna years, it was mostly just the thrashy era, starting with Among the Living. Uh, but yeah, Bush still had success with them, and uh, the Sound of White Noise was a success as far as his debut with the band. And uh, it was pretty amazing they were able to keep doing that. Uh, number, what we, seven? Black Sabbath. Obviously, they are a band that everybody knows, and Ozzy Osbourne being the original vocalist until he was kicked booted out, I believe. And then taking over was Ronnie James Dio. And then even at one point, uh, Ian Gillen, and there's like a, a slew of other guys who filled in, but Dio kind of brought uh, a different dimension to Sabbath at that time uh, where they could go just actually a little heavier. Um... I still think uh, Dehumanizer is a great record, and you know a lot of people go uh, from heaven to hell, of course. But uh, it's just interesting because Dio just has like you know again a little bit more versatility in his vocal range. Uh, it's not that Ozzy can't sing high, but they're they're just different in, in presentation. And uh, as good as Ozzy was, Dio showed that he can hang with. Uh, the legacy that Ozzy and Sabbath laid before him, so uh, that was just really great, great stuff. Now, number six, a band I'm not super familiar with. I mean, over the last five or six years, due, through to Friends, I've become a little bit uh, interest, interested in them, and of course, like some of their music. Uh, I didn't know they actually had a vocalist change at any point. Is the Dillinger Escape Plan? Uh, a very cool band. Uh, they apparently, uh, their vocalist, Dimitri Manakakis, was their original singer. And then, um, I guess it looks like Greg Pusciato took over. And I guess, according to the article, he has a bit more versatility as a, uh, a vocalist. So he can transition seamlessly from a menacing growl to heroic croon, as they call it. Uh, so I guess they're saying that still this band in particular can still uh, have success with a different singer as well. And similar and kind of like, you know, in terms of, because Dillinger is really a versatile band too, is like how they present their music. So number five with Faith No More, same thing. You started out with Chuck Mosley, uh, of course did the hit We Care A Lot. Uh but then, like, on the follow record, they got Mike Patton from Mr. Bungle, and when the real thing came out, that was, like, a big deal. Like, I remember, I think I've told the story before, I walked into the rec record store, I was probably about 18 or whatever, and I was looking for uh, a record to buy that, you know, some, I was talking to a friend of mine who worked there, and I was like, well, can you recommend anything that's really good? Like, And I really hadn't, I was still into hard rock and I was just getting into thrash really around that time so I was thinking I was going to get recommended something along those lines but he says no you want to check out this the real thing by faith no more and I'm like really and he's like yeah and I remember seeing it like you know they were on the uh, displays and everything and so I picked up the cassette and I did like it a lot there was a lot of great tunes on that record but it was different than anything I'd heard 
prior to that. So I was like, wow, this is different, different. You know, of course, song Epic became like a huge MTV hit. Uh, actually, it was the first time you would, outside of like Aerosmith and Run DMC, you know, like incorporating rock and uh, rap music together. So Epic, and this was the band doing it, so they weren't even collaborating at this point. It was just something they created. Uh, but it worked, and uh, it kind of opened me as a listener to a different style that I hadn't seen until like much years later when Korn actually used that premise as their entire body of work. Uh, number four, Iron Maiden. And at first when I saw Maiden list, I thought they were going to go with Blaze being successful after Dickinson, but uh, some people actually enjoy Blaze's work with Maiden. I'm one that doesn't. I didn't think it fit at all. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Blaze's vocals uh, in general because I've heard even his solo stuff and it just doesn't do anything for me. I will say the same thing about the original vocalist for Maiden, Paul Deano, where Maiden was more of like a kind of a punkish type uh, band as, you know, when Dickinson took over, they were started being a little bit more um, heavy metal progish, you know, a little bit of prog in there as well. Uh, they changed completely when Dickinson came in and Dickinson had way better range than Deano ever had. Uh, but there are still people out there who really like Diano's work over even Dickinson. Uh, usually, people like both, but I, I'm more of a, I'm more of a Dickinson guy. I always have been. Uh, everything that I've ever heard with Dickinson and Maiden is something that I love. So uh, he's my guy in terms of uh, vocalist for this particular band. Um, number three is. Kevlartak, and I know very little about the actual members of this band. I do know who they are. I've heard records, and they're not too bad. Uh, but they're like a Norwegian black and roll outfit, and uh, apparently they've gone through uh, vocalist changes, too, uh, where the original singer Erlen Halovic, I guess, I don't know if I pronounced that right, is the original singer. He left... And then they came on with a guy named Ivar Nukalazen, and uh, apparently he hasn't really missed a beat, and he's you know brings like a new sort of new dimension with his aggressive snarl, as they call it, uh, and it just works well with the band. So like I didn't even know they changed singers, but the band's a lot of fun. They have some pretty cool tracks uh, throughout their catalog right now. Uh, number two, uh, Napalm Death. One of the things I remember about Napalm was when I picked up Harmony Corruption in 90, uh, I knew they had some prior records like Scum and stuff like that, and I thought, well, okay. I didn't realize at the time, though, that Cathedral uh, singer Lee Dorian was actually the first singer for Napalm Death. Like I was kind of surprised because Cathedral was like a totally different vibe and feel from napalm death at that time and so i was like wow lee was actually a part of this and i, I think i actually have i probably have to go back and check it out over time because it's been a while but i have the peel sessions from napalm death and uh i know there's some work on there with lee on vocals so i need to kind of go and just revisit that for fun and kind of see because uh, i remember Barney taking over for Lee, like, was huge. Like, it, when I saw Suffer the Children, uh, the video for it, 
uh, one Saturday afternoon, and I was like, this is the greatest shit ever. <laughs> you know, and it was really my first serious introduction into death metal. Like, granted, I had already kind of dabbled with uh, Obituary and Morbid Angel and stuff like that, but Napalm was really kind of like the turning point before those. Uh, and so I just, ever since then, I've been a huge, and even Necco, a huge Napalm Death fan. Like, they're just still going, man. They're just putting out records. And they, it's not like they're losing any momentum. Like, they seem to get kind of stronger as time goes on. So uh, I've met Barney, very nice dude, uh, great singer, still brings it uh, live. Every time we see him, they're great live. He's he's a, got a bit of uh, charisma and... Uh, humor when he's on stage so uh, i really like that guy he's cool shit and the number one band that they uh, say was successful with a, a vocalist replacement was pantera and uh obviously we've talked about a little bit um terry glaze was the original singer of the band and they were more of like your heavy metal hard rock glam rock band in the early to mid 80s or mid to early to late 80s it was really just more of like this heavy metal slash glam rock band they were pretty much playing what was out there in the mainstream and what was accepting and but you know the band had kind of made a name for itself in the sense that even though it was underground compared to a lot of the other bands like Molly Crew and such that I remember people coming to school and they had, uh, you know, uh, was it Powers of the Night or something? I forget the one of the records, but it was like like eighty three or eighty four, and you know, I'm like, I never even heard of them at that point, and I was like, well, I, I didn't even then I didn't even hear the music part of it, like I just knew the name, um, and then uh, the funny thing was in nineteen ninety. I went to a show where Exodus was the headliner and Suicidal Tendencies was the uh, the undercard. And they had one more undercard, which was Pantera opening up. And we were all standing in line and nobody knew Pantera except for maybe a couple of people by name. And like some dude had asked me, was like, have you ever heard this band Pantera? I was like, I've heard of them, but I thought they were like a hair rock band. And people would start laughing, like, why is this band on this bill? And, of course, this is right when the band released Cowboys from Hell. And I'm like, when we first waiting there and they started kicking in with Cowboys, it was, like, mind-blown. Like, we were headbanging and, and just smashing into each other. And it was nuts, dude. Like, they really set the bar for the evening because... They played tight. They were Diamond was on, on on great. You know, Dimebag was on form, and Diamond was his previous name. But he was just so amazing, and I've been lucky enough over, you know, my lifetime to have seen Pantera with Dimebag like at least three times live. And most, the first two, of course, was during that uh, particular tour in '90, and then I saw him in '93 as well with uh, Sepultura and Biohazard. And uh, Dimebag was the real deal. Like, he was really, really good. Um, but, yeah, there, there was a moment right in 1988 when uh, Phil Ensemble took over vocals. 
and uh, they that power metal album still was that crossover between heavy metal and and hard rock, and uh, you actually have a picture of the band, and they still got the the high hair and whatnot. So when they transitioned to the more thrash stuff, I was like, that's just insane. But obviously, you can tell with uh, Cowboys from Hell that Metallica was a big influence on that record. Like it just was. And Phil and the group, they kind of changed their hair a little bit, uh, getting a little more ruggish and whatnot. But yeah, uh, they were a success, probably better. I mean, I know some people, we still kind of appreciate those early records just because. Uh, but I definitely think that the change uh, was for the better when they got on Selma, for sure, vocally. Uh, one band I wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, Sepultura. And people are going to say, well, no, Sepultura is Max and, and guys. And on the surface, I would agree because that's really the only era of Sepultura that I really like to love and listen to like 99% of the time. Uh, but it, it can't be going without saying that uh, Derek Green has been a success with the band since 1987. So once they released Against, uh, Derek was the vocalist and he's been the vocalist ever since. And they put out more albums with Green than they ever did with Max or the singer from the early record. Uh, again, I prefer... Uh, the more beneath the remains to uh, Chaos ID era of SEP. That's just my love because I was really big into the band then. Um, again, I'm fortunate to have seen them as that unit way back when a couple times, so uh, I'm appreciative of that part of it. Um, but there are people out there that more than me really love the Derek Green era. Now, they put out some pretty good records within the last five to seven years uh with green like i think it's metal messiah i think is one of them um and then of course the latest one they put out a, a year or so ago is really good uh it's different it's it's not really the sepultor that we're used to it never has been it kind of went in a more i want to say it's almost more of a, like a lamb of god style that they play now which isn't a bad thing, but it's not the traditional death thrash that we were used to with Max at the helm. Um, but the, the but the material is good. You know they do have some duds in there that I don't really care about. Uh, but as a band, like it's you can't say they haven't been successful. They still are kicking out albums. They're still touring, and people still go to see them. So there's clearly uh, no real drop off in terms of the fan base. Like they just they still have a lot of fans. Who, uh, love their stuff so yeah i thought that list was pretty interesting um fun to talk about because you know we don't often think about the successes i mean i know you can talk about judas priest a lot of people will still give credit to ripper owens for the couple records he did when rob was out um i do like ripper as a singer i've heard him in other projects and he's really really good I did not really think he connected much like Blaze with Maiden. You know, that he didn't connect with Priest in a way that I thought he would. And he has the vocal range to do it. I don't know if the faults of the downfall when Ripper was in Priest was more to the, the songwriting part of it. Uh, in my in my opinion, anyway. Like, I don't know if it's just there was lack of chemistry or whatever, but 
uh, when you hear, you know, a, an album like Firepower, which Priest released a couple of years ago, that's that's what I was expecting of something with like Ripper. That that was the kind of stuff. Um, but we didn't get that. The the music just didn't mesh, in my opinion. Uh, but maybe they were Priest was trying to, you know, maybe think outside the box and try different things because, you know, Ripper can do a few different things. I mean, I think Rob can do different things. He's been doing different things with Priest forever. <laughs> His band started out almost like a classic rock vibe or bluesy kind of stuff, and then they morphed into hard rock and heavy metal, and then, of course, you get it out like Painkiller, and that shit's, like, just shreds, like, incredibly fast. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of different possibilities with you know, bands and the changing of singers and stuff and whether or not they can continue to have the success that they did previously. So there are a few bands that do make it like that. All right, let's get to the next two blocks of music. Uh, brand new stuff from Amorphia, Blind Illusion, Lamb of God, Skeptic, Ananon, Ananon, I think is how you pronounce it. But here's brand new stuff from Gorgon. This is, this is a band I really got into the last four years. Very cool band. It's called Storm of Defeat. Let's go. 
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook, search Metal Tavern Radio, and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak. Getting ready to jump into our rock block, as I said earlier. Brand new stuff from Wednesday 13. Queensryche, Freedom Hawk, Lord Elephant. And we're going to kick it all off with Christian Death. Brand new stuff from them. This is Rise and Shine. Devil 
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Closing out the rock block, Wednesday 13. Good day to be a bad guy. Yeah, baby. 
Alright, so let's get into our next topic here, which I'm going to revisit the Versus episode we did uh, for Black Sunday versus Suspiria, Mario Bava versus Dario and Jeto. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, I picked the last one as well as far as the Versus picks that we did. And uh, I probably won't make the one coming up for this coming Thursday, uh, but I will be sending in a video vote, uh, much like uh, director and video game enthusiast Joe Valley did for uh, this one here with Black Sunday and Suspiria, which he was on set of a film he's uh, working on. And uh, <laughs> Joel is always kind of funny. He, uh, he's like asking people around like, Black Sunday or Suspiria? Most of them were saying Suspiria, which, you know, Deep down, I kind of figured Suspiria would win. Um, let's face it, there aren't a whole super amount of witchcraft movies that are like what I would call strong or decent. I mean, I guess I could have put The Witch in there uh, as one, but I don't think The Witch is even as revered as Black Sunday. Is. Like Black Sunday actually got some votes as well as Thrash Pondo actually went with Black Sunday, which was kind of cool in that aspect. Uh, that he has so much love for that film. And it's not that Black Sunday is bad at all. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of great things about it, uh, especially for a black and white film. And, that, and that's sort of something that Jeff and I agreed on was, for us personally, it, it's hard to find much horror in black and white films unless you kind of grew up with that. So, like, if you grew up during that time period... Where black and white films like like there's there for me there is a sense of creepiness so like even if you go back to Nosferatu, uh, stuff like that it's very creepy, but is it? It's not something that really is like horrific. Uh, maybe Carnival of uh, was it Carnival, a circuit? I can't remember the name of that fucking film, but but either way like that might be a little bit more horrific in terms of like just uh, people involved with the film but there are some great uh special effects for black sunday in 1960 which i was kind of shocked by like i'm kind of like samurai we both agree that watching the film again after so much time there's a much bigger appreciation for it for what it was doing and the atmosphere that it was creating, like, there's a lot of, like, great shots of, you know, uh, people in cloaks and the fog, and, and because it is black and white, it is a little more effective in, in terms of the atmosphere that you're looking at. It's very isolating and creepy. Uh, it's got that gothic appeal. Uh, but Suspiria, like, being, the, like, total opposite in terms of color, uh, Argento, uh, Again, you know, people who are Argento fans differ on what their favorite Argento film is. For me, it's it's always going to be Suspiria. Uh, for great many reasons. I just, to me, it's just the unicorn of his achievements. And uh, the way it's shot, the, the locale, the, the acting involved. Uh, there is something they mentioned last night that Jeff, I think it was Jeff that mentioned about how Black Sunday really kind of relies heavily on Barbara Steele to carry the film. She just does. Um, not that the rest of the actors are bad, but she's she's like the headliner. She's the one that's like standing out from everyone else. So she really carries that film in a lot of different ways. 
Suspiria, Jessica Harper, despite being a very good actress and uh, nailing the character of Susie Bannon down so well with, like, the innocence and uh, her genuine fear of, like, when she's, when something certain has happened, she's got this look of fear on her face, uh, the tension that you feel. The rest of the cast of Spirit are probably just equally as strong, like, especially the Coven of Witches. I can't remember all their names now, but they all played a nice, strong role. Uh, even got the cameo from Udo here and there, and just, but the, it, there's much more to it than just Jessica Harper in that film that stands out acting-wise, and, you know, both films have some flaws, uh, but Suspiria to me uh, was always going to be the winner. Uh, it didn't matter who, what film I was going against, um, I'm, it's my favorite horror film of all time, so... Uh, Dario's use of the colors uh, and the soundtrack from Goblin it just it, the massive soundtrack is so engulfing and we talked about how because the music just stand out so much it, but it doesn't take away from the film at all in fact it just enhances it tenfold uh, that doesn't always happen like you have especially when you consider some soundtracks that might be too overwhelming and people looked at, well, man, you know, Goblin's really, the music's really loud. But that's that's what brings the whole thing together, really. Because uh, the dialogue and stuff really isn't all that important to me. I, I mean, it is for the movie, of course. But uh, it's the, 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 the visuals and the sound. And, and, and then, you know, like, man, we talked about the, the ending scene with the the friend of hers who uh resurrected and, and is trying to kill her like that that shot is just horrific and that's really kind of the thing about horror versus just creepy like black sunday is creepy but suspiria is just straight up horrific uh everything about it from the openings uh death scenes to some of the stuff in the middle but then that ending uh that the moment i saw that and 1997 was the first time I actually saw Suspiria. It was on, like I said uh, last night or the other night. Uh, it was like USA Today or uh, USA Up All Night or it wasn't Monster Vision with Briggs. So I didn't even know about that until years later. But uh, it was definitely like Sci-Fi Channel or something. It was just on there during a month of October. Never had heard the, about the film until that point. And when I watched it, I was like blown away forever a fan and that ending scene uh has been implanted in my head for many years it's it's just horrifying and it it's luckily i didn't see that shit as a kid because i'd probably have nightmares <laughs> like it's just I, I would have been seven at the time that that was released and uh that 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 it's still just uh crazy like how he was able to pull that off i mean Argento's done a lot of cool shit throughout his films, obviously. Uh, especially with death scenes. But whatever it is about that film uh, is just mesmerizing both visually, uh, sound-wise, and of course, uh, the, the, the effects. I mean, granted, it's dated in the sense that the blood doesn't look like blood per se. It's kind of like paint looking, but that's the time period. You know, it really, it would have been kind of cool if at 
some point Dario had the kind of effects that say Carpenter's the thing had could you imagine like that just would have been nuts but for 1977 and being an Italian film and it wasn't like a high budget at all so uh what Argento was able to do was just mind-blowing so yeah Suspiria won the verses uh pretty handedly uh, three out of, or say, say four out of five of us, because uh, of Joel's video, voted for Suspiria. And then the audiences that both voted on one poll and another both uh, favored Suspiria. Uh, like I said, it, it was kind of expected, um, but you never know. Uh, sometimes there's just shockers. Like, we've seen it before um, with some films. Uh but yeah, next week, uh, Samurai is going to be doing, um, well, at least on the surface, it may change. It's supposedly maybe going to be Fright Night 2 versus American Wolf in Paris, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I know there can be some problems finding uh, Fright Night 2 uh, streaming or anything unless you actually own it. So they may end up going with some different um, movies uh, as far as like uh, competing against one another. But I'm very appreciative that Samurai allows me to join in on this. Uh, usually, you know, I join him every once in a while, but during the month of October and horror, I'm usually there with him because he knows I'm a big horror fan. So generally when we do the verses, I'm there. Maybe, you know, uh, I'm not sure what will happen the final week of October, but, uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun with this. Uh, for other news regarding YouTube stuff, um... Next Thursday, which will be the 20th, um, I'm doing a new segment uh, once a month with the Lone Wolf Ronin, and we're going to take a movie, a martial arts movie, and we're going to sit down and review it. Probably only going to be about like 45 minutes to an hour. We're not going to spend like a massive amount of time on these films, but he, he loves martial arts as much, much as I do, and he has a really uh, great, vast knowledge of martial arts films, so... Uh, my pick will be the first one, which is Seven Grandmasters, which I'll be watching probably the next couple of days just to refresh my memory of it. And then uh, we're going to review that. Uh, the segment's called uh, Lone Wolf with Dub, as in dubbing. <laughs> Thought I'd just play a word there with that, but uh, I will post it up in social media, obviously, like I usually do with all the YouTube stuff that we do. But uh, be looking for that if you're into martial arts stuff and discussions about such. All right, next block of music. Uh, we're getting a little bit doomy here. Got some stuff from Megalith Levi uh, Levitation, Disembowelment, and here's brand new Acid Witch, The Sleeper. <laughs>
Thrash Metal Band Poker Face from Russia and you are listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Dark Glasses by Dario Argento. His new flick on Shudder. Saw it uh, last night, began watching it, figured, okay, cool, because we had already just done or was going to do the Versus episode with Suspiria. And so, checked it out. Uh, it took me like three increments. I was kind of tired yesterday, just a lot going on this week. But I went and checked it out. And, uh, you know, here's the problem with Dario Argento for me. Uh, throughout his career as a director, he certainly has some highs and he has a little bit of lows and some mediocres. Uh, to almost bad as well. Um, I'm really surprised that in 2022 that Argento put out this film and it's incredibly bad. Like, disappointingly bad. Um, whew, man, the, the flick... Um, let, me, let me give you a cast people here real quick. Uh, Asia Argento's daughter does have a role in this, who I didn't recognize at first because the she looks a lot different now. But uh, Asia plays Rita, uh, but the lead is Diana, who is played by Alenia Pastorelli. And... The other main characters are uh, a young boy named Chin, played by Andrea Zhang. Um, I don't... Okay, Fabriazzo Iluturi is the dream killer. So he's he's the guy doing all the killing here. And there's a few other people in here as well. Uh, the synopsis of this film is basically... Uh, Diana, a prostitute who is blinded by a serial killer in a botched attack, takes in a young Chinese boy named Chin, abruptly altering both of their lives forever. Now, the synopsis is very vague, just in terms of like how she even comes across the boy. Uh, what happens is, uh, Diana gets in a car, uh, the serial killer attempts to try to take her at that moment, trying to get into the car. She takes off. Now, I'll get to why it's kind of a problem for me in a lot of different ways, just in general. Um, so she takes off, and the killer gets in his van. He drives around as like this sprinter van, and he chases after her. So while he's chasing her through the streets of Rome, okay, uh, she ends up running like a red light or a stop sign. Uh, it hits a car uh, where Chin is inside along with his two parents. She hits the car to the point where she basically almost decapitates the parents. So the kid in the back isn't even affected. Uh, she, of course, rolls the car and she's hurt. And somehow she becomes blind uh, because of that accident. So out of guilt, she chooses to take in Chin and kind of watch over him. But all the while, uh, the killer now is still trying to finish the job with her. He's still trying to hunt her down. Uh, and finished the job. He's already killed a couple of other women. 
uh, prostitutes. Uh, and really, early on, like, the first kill is great. Like, it's it's classic Argento, like, very bloody, nasty, and, you know, gurgling death scenes and whatnot. And uh, although I have to kind of laugh that when the bystanders walked up to the first girl dying, she was still, like, breathing, like, even though it was, like, you know, gurgling blood and whatnot, but no one ever attempted to try to help her. They just looked at her. Uh, but, but you know, story-wise, you know, Argento's just not that deep. Let's be real. Um, so, yeah, so the, the serial killer is trying to finish the job. And so now we spend the rest of the movie where she's sort of being led around by the kid who can see and she can't. And now keep in mind, like, early in the film, everybody was looking at the solar eclipse, and I, and somehow that was supposed to be a big deal, but I don't know, it just... I, I Maybe I would have liked more with stuff uh, regards to the solar eclipse, but it just never became a factor after the first 15 minutes. So, the boy is kind of like her eyesight now. Now they're just running on the run. Like, they leave their apartment because the cops are looking for the kid because they need to take him to the foster care or whatever. They know she has him, but they can't search her house without a warrant. So when the cops go and uh, get the warrant, she's already taken off with the kid and leaving to go visit Rita, who is played by Asia Ardento. Um, now the cops, the female and male cop, when they come back late at night, which who's serving a warrant that late anyway? Uh, anyway, uh, they can't get in. They don't get an answer at the door. So the man walks down the street a little bit to try to see if he can get in. Like, There's no lights on. They both acknowledge that. And even though she's blind and won't turn the lights on, they, I don't know. These are the dumbest cops ever, and it gets worse. So the man walks out into the middle of the street, and the van is starting because the, uh, the killer had already been in the house, and he knocked out the dog, the C&I dog that uh, Diana had, even though she didn't take it with her for whatever reason. Uh, so he's driving down the street where the cop is, and the cop recognizes the van. Everybody who's reported the death said there was a van nearby and speeding off. Well, the van is coming down, and he sits in the middle of the road, not sit, but stands, and starts shooting at it, right, like cop would. But you would think... If you haven't shot the dude in the head, you would jump out of the way. He never moves. So what happens? The serial killer runs him over, hits him, and just knocks him back and kills him. The female cop then gets the gun, her gun out, and checks on the partner who's dead now. Walks around to the side and tries to get open the castle door. And the, the serial killer kicks the door open, knocking her back to the ground. And somehow knocked her back so hard that she's having a hard time. Like Almost like she knocked her out almost. So she's now crawling on her stomach trying to get to her gun. And of course Sarah comes up and stabs her in the back. Now, these cops are fucking dumb as shit. Both of them. Just how they handle that whole thing. Like, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't explain. It's just really bad. Um... Story-wise, this, this movie is just very bland. Like, and, and it gets worse because, you know, in past Argento films, uh, Dario was very good at keeping the killer's identity a mystery. Uh, but now, we already kind of see his face like a number of times. And we kind of figure out who he is already. 
And uh, plus, the reasoning uh, for why this killer is trying to kill Diana is even worse. Like, um, I don't want to give... T- I don't know, it doesn't fucking matter, you guys, really, I think. Um, so, his reasoning for wanting to kill her, okay? So, he was paying her to sleep with her. She was a prostitute. So, he was basically... He came over after working at a dog kennel. That's his connection with dogs. Uh, he came over and was wanting to, like, get laid. She said he smelled like ass and wanted him to just shower before they had sex, which is what it's a it's a it's a reasonable request, right? That you don't smell like ass while you're fucking somebody, especially someone you don't know and you're paying for. She has the right to ask you to shower, right? That's reasonable, right? He didn't want to do it. He felt insulted. He's like, "Fuck you, bitch! You fucking whore!" And then he leaves. Uh, then we find out later, of course, it's you know as it's going on that it's him. And he's still pissed off about having to take a shower before he fucked her. Like, I just... What the fuck, dude? You, are you that fucking bad at it? Or what's the deal here? <clears throat> so, that's his reasoning for wanting to kill her specifically. We don't really know why he wants to kill the other whores. Maybe it's just because he's pissed off. Uh, that's the general theme with stuff like this. Uh, the final kill scene, which involved a dog... Is repetitive. In fact, so repetitive, we just saw the scene in Suspiria with the blind piano man. Similar thing. That's how this guy dies in this film. I know, it's a spoiler, but it's horrible. This movie is just, there's, I don't know what Dario was thinking. Like, it's, dude, you're an aged director. You, you, you couldn't come up with something better than this? You have some of the most iconic films out there. Uh, and yet, this is what you came up with. Like, I'm just... It, it, it floored me at how bad it was. And even Asia's death scene was scaled back. Like, it was, there was no gore involved. And I, I had to think to myself, like, is this something that Asia wanted because of all the shit outside of the movie industry that had happened to her with Weinstein? Because I still go back and I think about that film... Um, the syndrome, uh, Stenthal syndrome that she did, where she was raped and stuff, and that was like a year before the incident with Weinstein. Uh, I initially thought it was after, so I kind of thought that was weird that she would film a movie after that, but it was apparently before. Uh, but it's so weird that it's like that's the film that she happened to film before that happened with Weinstein. But either way. There was no gore involved with her actual death scene later in the film. Uh, so I don't know the reasons behind that. Because she was somebody who's really never been that apprehensive to do gore scenes you know, in her dad's movies and stuff. Uh, maybe she never did. I don't know. I have to go back and look. Uh, to my knowledge, though, she isn't someone to really shy away from that. She's always been pretty go-hung with her dad stuff. But either way, uh, boring death scene for her. Uh, and the kid, like, yeah, I don't, I don't get this so much with the kid, why you need the kid involved in the film, um, it really t- takes away, because the kid's kind of annoying and stupid at the same time, uh, but I know that's way, Dario's way of kind of tying things in a certain way that makes sense for the viewer, but, oh man, this was a really, really bad movie, um, 
I wish I could have picked something different, but I figured I was on an Argento kick with Susperia and wanted to do this and was hoping for so much more, but Dark Glasses uh, gets zero stars for me. Like, I, I figured I wanted to give it one just because some of the gore was okay, but it, it, it's, a, it's a street that Dario's been down before, so it's not really doing anything special here like and the story is just so bad and the acting is just horrible that like I, I i don't know like i would think a guy with his caliber would just find a better way like it just seems so bad and and yeah you all can check it out for yourself maybe you'll feel differently about it but uh i i did not like this film whatsoever all right Going down the home stretch now. I got some brand new stuff from Writhing, Escula Grind from the Vastland. Got some classic Bathory in there. But here's some brand new stuff by Selenoplexia. I have already begun to decompose.
This is Anime from Darken and you are listening to the Holes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio.
classic Bathory there. The return of darkness and evil. Why am I getting spam calls? I don't understand what that's all about. Leave me alone. want to thank you all for uh, tuning in today. Of course, all the support you give us at Metal Tavern Radio. And I hope you enjoyed it. A lot of good music out there. As I said, I know I didn't use any labels or promotional stuff. And I probably won't tell it for the rest of the year. However, I am going to do uh, specific shows for those. So the next one I'll probably do for like a combination of like Against PR, Grand Sounds Promotion, and some of the other little ones I have in there. And I'll do that accordingly to try to get some of that stuff out to you. Some bands they send me are stuff that I get through other sources. So I won't repeat that. Uh, I'll just try to keep it uh, with bands that, uh, you, that hasn't been played yet this year. So... Um, yeah, so I got plenty of uh, new music, though, coming away through the regular Hordes of Chaos, so be looking for that. One track left for you, and uh, the new Goat Horror album is amazing. Gotta check it out. This is the Bestow of Abomination, and you all take care of yourselves. Keep it metal.